Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, this is Heather with the Renaissance English History Podcast. And this is an abbreviated version of the Tudor Music Hour. This is a radio show that I do in the UK every Sunday at 9am. You can listen to it on Mad Wasp Radio. You can check that out on TuneIn or you can listen directly. So I am also putting out the abbreviated version here on the podcast feed for those of you who want to listen more. So the thing about this is because I don't have a radio license myself, I can only play 30 second snippets of the music. In the radio program live, I play the full pieces. But here for this purpose, I can only play 30 seconds. So here's the deal. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, you can go to tutormusichour.com where I have links to a Spotify playlist for every episode. So you can grab the full pieces and listen to your heart's content. You can also go to tutormusichour.com for more information about the show, links to how you can listen live and everything like that. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Tudor Music Hour. This is the show where you and I travel back 500 years to the 16th century and examine the social changes and upheaval through the lens of music. I'm your host, Heather Tesco. I've been podcasting on Tudor England with a show called the Renaissance English History Podcast since 2009. And I'm really sorry I say Renaissance rather than Renaissance. I'm American. I can't help it. So every week we look at a different theme or composer. This week, we're going to talk about music as Tudor propaganda, looking at a few examples of times when the tutors used music to further their message. So this actually came out of an episode that I did several years ago on Tudor portraits as propaganda, and I will put links to that episode up on Tudor Music Hour if you're interested. It's still one of my most popular shows, so tutormusichour.com if you want to listen to that. I looked at Tudor portraiture as examples of how the Tudor monarchs were using this new medium to get their messages across, right? And we think about these examples of the portraits of Henry VIII, the famous Whitehall one where he's standing with his legs astride and his codpiece and he's just tall and mighty and it was a life-size portrait and people fainted when they saw it, right? He was giving off this persona of strength and virility. And we think about Elizabeth I with the Armada portrait and how she was giving across this message of England's might and naval might and power. So now at this time, we also have to remember, of course, there was no radio advertising, there was no TV advertising, there was no Facebook ads. What people did have, though, what the monarchs did have was control over the liturgy. Every week, sitting 
in their pews. It was mandatory to attend church. So they had this audience that they could get a message through to. And sometimes that was through music. How did they use this power? And so this is where we're going to look at three examples of Tudor music as propaganda. The first example I'm going to talk about is actually from 1544. In 1544, England was actually preparing for war on two fronts. Henry was away that summer in France. This is the period where he had his invasion of Bologna. So that was in France. And then in Scotland, Henry was trying to force a marriage between his son Edward and Mary, Queen of Scots. And that was called the rough wooing. Scotland wanted to have a marriage with France, which is what they eventually got. And Henry was trying to stop that and force them to marry Mary, Queen of Scots, to his son, Edward. So in 1544, there's two fronts going on, right? He had been married to Catherine Parr for just about a year at this point, and she was acting as his regent while he was away in France. So Henry needed some way to rally the country to his cause. People were getting tired of wars. Henry needed some good PR. So let me set the stage with the players for you, okay? Thomas Tallis, who is the granddaddy of English choral music, we'll talk a lot about him in coming episodes. He was the chief composer at the Chapel Royal in 1543. Another Thomas, Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, he was translating the litany into English at this time. At the same time, a third person, Catherine, Catherine Parr, wife number six, was working on a book, Psalms or Prayers. This was a book of 15 meditations on the Psalter inspired by Bishop Fisher. So there's these three players, Thomas Tallis at the Chapel Royal, Thomas Cranmer, Litany into English, Catherine Parr, writing her book. Fast forward to 1978. Yes, I said 1978. There's renovations going on at Corpus Christi College in Oxford, and three musical fragments are found behind plasterwork. They were from the mid-16th century, and they were identified as an early version of Thomas Tallis's famous piece, the six-part Gaude Gloriosa Dei Mater. But the text was different. The piece that they had known up until that point was in Latin. But this, that they found this fragment, it was in English. And rather than being devotional, it was hard harsh. It was it was bombastic. It had words like cast them down headlong for they are traitors and rebels against me. Let the wicked sinners return into hell. These were Catherine Parr's words from her Psalms or Prayers. They come from the ninth Psalm against enemies. So musicologists reconstructed the music. They had enough to work with that they could confidently say that this was Talis's music with Catherine Parr's words. This is an example of music being used to further this message supporting Henry's wars in France and Scotland. And this research is still quite new. An album was just released last year from the Ally Mary Consort with some of this music and looking at the history of how Catherine Parr was working with Thomas Tallis to get this message across to the people. Gaude Gloriosa Dei Mater. This is the Taverner Consort and Choir with Thomas Tallis's Gaude Gloriosa Dei Mater here on the Tudor Music Hour.
That was the Tavner Consort with Thomas Tallis's Gaude Gloriosa Dei Mater here on the Tudor Music Hour. And I'm delighted to have your company. I'm Heather Tesco. And this week, we are looking at music as propaganda in the Tudor court. So the next pieces that I want to look at are from a choir book that is in the British Library. It's Royal MS 11, and it's a choir book from 1516. It was actually a gift to Henry VIII. It was produced in 1516 by Patras de Opetis of Antwerp. And in the choir book. There's a collection of motets by Magister Sampson. At one point, he was believed to be the Bishop of Chichester around 1536 and then of Coventry and Lichfield, but they got him mixed up. He's now supposedly believed to be a composer from the Netherlands. And there's also music in there by a composer called Benedictus de Opetis. There's also a poem in honor of Henry VIII and the union of York and Lancaster. Remember, this is still just a generation removed from the fighting of the Wars of the Roses. So this dynastic bringing together Lancaster and York is still important for the Tudor dynasty to continue the the propaganda of how the Tudors are the embodiment of the Yorkist heirs through Elizabeth of York, Henry VIII's mother, who was the sister of the princes in the tower, and through the Tudor dynasty coming through the lineage of Margaret Beaufort, Lady Margaret Beaufort. So this choir book is important because 1516, we're still in Henry Henry's prime of life. He had a daughter, Mary. She. It was a little bit disappointing that he had a daughter rather than a son, but at last he had a living child. He had had several experiences with stillborn children. He'd had a son that had lived for only, I think, 42 days. So the thing about this manuscript is that it's very different than English music. It contains some of the most popular European music at the time, of course, coming from these places from the Netherlands. It's very cultured very different than English music. This music was given to Henry and Catherine at a time when Cardinal Wolsey was actually working on a treaty of perpetual peace, a United Nations concept whereby England would be the arbiter of any disputes that arose across Europe. This ended up in the Treaty of London and then the Field of Cloth of Gold, the famous meeting between Henry VIII and Francis of France came just a few few years later. But at this point, Cardinal Wolsey was still pitching this idea of England being the arbiter of Europe to the Pope and to the other European powers. He was saying, look, we also we all need to have a treaty of universal peace and the empire and France, if you guys get in an argument or Spain and Portugal, if you get in an argument, the person who is the best suited to work that out is actually Henry in England. This, you know, 20 something kid, right? But that was what Cardinal Wolsey was pitching. This is also a period when relations with Spain are starting to go a little bit sour after Henry was a kind of abandoned. He saw it as being abandoned during their planned joint invasion against France. And then Spain negotiated their own peace treaty with France and Henry was kind of left out in the cold, right? So this is a period where Henry is really defining himself on a national stage, saying what he will and won't accept, saying that he's a little bit angry at Spain, but you know what? He deserves to be the complete arbiter of Europe. So what better way to show off just how cultured you are and how perfect you are to be this arbiter of Europe than having this music at your court that is that is very much 
of the high culture of the period, very much in keeping with a cosmopolitan style, right? Also having this poem in the front talking about the the wondrousness of this join of this joining together of York and Lancaster. So this was a perfect sort of choir book for Henry to have and to show off in his court. And so I think that this is an important piece, or so I think that this is a really important piece when you look at the tutors spreading their messages through music, which is what we're talking about this week. So we are going to listen to a couple of pieces from this choir book, MS 11 in the British Library. First piece we're going to listen to is Solite Felicis, and this is by Richard Sampson. This is the Alamiri Consort under the direction of David Skinner. This is Solite Felicis from MS 11, the Royal Choir Book of 1516, here on the Tudor Music Hour. Tesco. We are going back just over 500 years ago, 502 years ago at the moment with this particular section looking at music from this Royal Choir Book of 1516. But this week's program is dedicated to looking at music as propaganda. And we're looking at this 1516 Choir Book right now because of the way it portrayed Henry VIII and the Tudor dynasty at a period where Henry was busy trying to figure out his place on the global stage with his foreign policy, making himself out to be this Renaissance prince who was a leading player in Europe. So when Henry VIII took the throne in 1509, inherited the throne, it was the first bloodless transfer of power in England in decades For most people alive, they wouldn't have remembered the last time a king became king without having to fight for it. The last time had been before the Wars of the Roses in the mid-15th century. So Henry VIII really wanted to portray himself as this blossoming new dynasty that was going to take England out of the, the period of war and upset into this kind of new era, right? So having choir books like this, having music like this at his court would have only 
added to the cosmopolitan feel. So when ambassadors wrote home to their particular monarchs, they could have talked about what a cosmopolitan place Greenwich Palace was or Richmond Palace. So this is in a large part what Henry had in his mind when he was looking at having music like this in his court. The frontispiece of the 1516 choir book that we're talking about now has this miniature incorporating the, the poem that I said in honor of Henry VIII and the Tudor dynasty composed by Johannes Alpatis. And it has an inscription that says, Salite Felicis Protecti Culmine Rose. And that also is then the text for the motet that we just heard. He also includes verses praising the royal rose, perhaps celebrating the birth of Mary, who was the daughter who had just been born to Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. The miniature also shows a crown Tudor rose in a garden that symbolizes England. There's daisies in the garden that refer to Henry VIII's sister, Margaret of Scotland. There's marigolds for his other sister, Mary of France. And there's a pomegranate bush in honor of his wife, Catherine of Aragon. The garden walls are surmounted by banners with the royal arms of England and St. George and Castile. And then the garden gateway has a half-open portcullis. The portcullis is the badge of the Beauforts. Henry VII had adopted that. Of course, he was the son of Lady Margaret Beaufort. Lady Margaret Beaufort is the person through whom the Tudors get their Lancastrian heritage. And then inscribed are the words, Salve Felix Anglia. So this is just the kind of imagery that Henry would want to have been showing off to the world for anybody who would care to see. And you could either do that through these allegorical paintings and through the music that was included in these choir books. So we are now going to listen to a bit more from this choir book of 1516. We're going to listen to another piece by Richard Sampson, The Salve Rodics. And then also we're going to listen to Subtulum Presidium by Benedictus Deopetis. We've got a, two more motets here to listen to from this 1516 choir book. I hope you enjoy them here on the Tudor Music Hour. pieces that were included in the 1516 choir book. We're talking about that right now in this show about Tudor music being used as propaganda. So this was a very special choir book 
that would have been displayed and the music would have been sung at a time when Henry VIII was trying to impress upon the world just how cultured, how intelligent, how modern he was, and how he should be trusted to in part be the arbiter of any feuds that would arise throughout Christendom as Cardinal Wolsey, his chief minister, was negotiating this Treaty of Universal Peace where Henry would be the one who would decide arguments between the members. So that was the backdrop of this piece of very cosmopolitan music, very modern, forward-thinking music being sung at Henry's court for all of the various ambassadors to write home and talk about what an exciting place Henry's court was. We're going to jump ahead now 50 years. We're going to jump to 1567. And we're going to talk about the Parker Psalter. This is a set of music that I love. This is where Matthew Parker, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury under Queen Elizabeth, he translated the Psalter into English. The original is actually available to look at through the internet archive. I'll put show notes in here for this episode at tutormusichour.com so you can go on and look at some of this imagery and, and get the albums here if you're interested in them. Matthew Parker had an interesting relationship with Queen Elizabeth. Decades earlier, 30 years earlier, Anne Boleyn had implored this same Matthew Parker to watch over Elizabeth when she was just a toddler, and Anne suspected that she was not long for this world. So Matthew had long been looking out for Elizabeth, and then he became the Archbishop of Canterbury. She appointed him to that role. So as he was translating the Psalter into English, into English verse, he decided to publish it with the inclusion of nine tunes. These were tunes composed by Thomas Tallis. The idea was that the collaboration would provide a way for the Psalms to be sung rather than merely spoken. These were designed to bring people closer to the Protestant worship through singing the Word of God in English. So was, of course, a cornerstone of the English Protestant belief was that individuals could and did have a relationship with God directly through reading the Bible. So here was one more way for Elizabeth to help train up a new generation of Protestants who would be close to God through song. This mid-1560 period was right after the Elizabethan settlement, which made nobody happy. This is where the Catholics and the Protestants tried to hammer out a compromise that would become the modern Anglican Church and the prayer book that that we still use today in, in the Anglican Church. And so this is a period right after here, the first couple of years after this, where people are still grumbling. The Protestants aren't happy because they didn't get everything they wanted. The Catholics aren't happy because they got even less of what they wanted. Nobody's really happy. And yet here is the Archbishop of Canterbury using music to bring the word of God, to bring these this very core Protestant belief and saying, look, I know you might not be thrilled with what happened. I know you might still be adapting to some of this new ways of worship, to this new prayer book. But look at this. Look at how you can sing the Psalms. Look at how you can sing this music. You can sing the word of the Lord. Clearly, it's not in Latin. It's something that you can understand. And this is a brilliant way to bring people into the Protestant fold. 
Each of the tunes is very short, and they are all going to see us out of this episode of the Tudor Music Hour, where we looked at music and propaganda. If you are familiar with classical music, you will likely recognize at least one of them that became the inspiration later for Vaughn Williams's Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. So listen out for that. It's a bit of a puzzle. Remember, you can get show notes, links to all of the albums at tutormusichour.com. And I am your host, Heather Tesco. I am delighted that you have spent your time this morning listening with me to some of this gorgeous music. This is the Tallis Scholars with the tunes by Thomas Tallis for the Parker Psalter. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.